Digital Gonzo, episode 77, dated Thursday the 24th of May 2012, Batman Returns. I've been down here too long. It's time for me to ascend. From the sewers of Gotham, a new villain emerges. You didn't invite me, so I crashed! From the rooftops of Gotham, the perfect enemy comes to life. I am Catwoman. Hear me roar. Yeah. <laughs> and the only one who can save this city. Creature of the night. Hey, stud. I thought we had something together. We do. While she craves a romance, she can sink her claws into. You can't never grow like me. He plots a foul reign of destruction. My dear penguin. Thanks to Batman, the time has come to punish all of Gotham! This is the third of the Batman shows. This episode focuses on the follow-up to one of the biggest box office successes of its age, a milestone in comic book movies, a sea change for the way Hollywood promoted and handled its blockbusters, and the inspirational touchstone for one of the best animated shows of all time. Not that movie, it's 1992 sequel, Batman Returns, a film I've long enjoyed far more than its predecessor. Like the first, it brought back a classic Batman villain to the screen. Two, in fact. The thinking possibly being we can't match up to Nicholson's Joker in either star power or class of antagonist, so put two B-listers and they add up to one A, right? And Burton got to exert his influence and put a far more personal touch into this film, making it clearly the work of an auteur. And everything that implies, if you know Burton. Back in the Batcave with me... The ghost with the most, Neil Taylor of Gameburst and KDS 2.0. Surely the ghost that walks. No, I'm tying it in with Burton stuff, you fool. I don't want to be tied in with bloody Burton. Fine, scissor-handed man-child, Neil <laughs> Taylor of Gameburst and KDS 2.0. Stitched together and brought back from the dead, Paul Flying Muttley Gibson of Gonzo Planet. Sounds about right. Purveyor of the closest shaves in Fleet Street, Mr. Jerome McIntosh, also of Gonzo Planet. Can't say anything against that. And fresh from her 30-story drop, but feeling so much yummier, Sharon Shaw of Gonzo Planet. Hello. 
After the success of Batman, Warner Brothers was hoping for a sequel to start filming in May 1990 at Pinewood Studios. They spent $250,000 storing the sets from the first film. Did anyone recognise any of the sets from the first film in this, this one? No. Nope, me neither. What a waste. <laughs> Tim Burton had mixed emotions from the previous film. I will return if the sequel offers something new and exciting, he said in 1989. Otherwise, it's a most dumbfounded idea. It's a direct quote. Meanwhile, Sam Hamm, comic book fan from the previous film, <laughs> delivered the first two drafts of the script while Bob Kane was brought back as creative consultant. Uh, Hamm's script had the penguin and Catwoman going after hidden treasure. Not a euphemism. Dissatisfied with the ham script, Burton commissioned a rewrite from Daniel Waters. Sharon, any idea what else Daniel Waters might have done? I'm guessing I should know since you directed this at me, but I. You don't like it? It's got Banana Rider in it. Late '80s, very dark and twisted. Heather's. Yeah. Ah. Daniel Waters. So you'd think that'd Thanks, be good. Neil. Uh, Waters came up with a social satire that had an evil mogul backing a bid from, for the mayor's office by the Penguin. Uh, Waters reported, I wanted to show that the true villains of our world don't necessarily wear costumes. The plot device of Penguin running for mayor came from the 1960s TV series episodes His Another Penguin and Did Another Penguin. Uh, Waters wrote a total of five drafts. Max Schreck was also a reference to actor Max Schreck, known for his role as... Uh, teeth Vampire Nosferatu Correct Teeth Vampire Yes Nosferatu Is that you Paul? I've got yeah. to stop Just saying things That come into my head Teeth Vampire Blue <laughs> According to Casting director Marion Doherty Burton was reportedly Uncomfortable with Casting Christopher Walken As Shrek On the basis That the actor Scared him <laughs> Oh <laughs> What What's wrong, Tim? Tim, come for a drink with me. Seriously. Okay. Burton hired Wesley... I will continue to do my shitty impressions. Burton hired Wesley Strick to do an uncredited rewrite. Strick recalled, When I was hired to write Batman Returns, Batman 2 at the time, the big problem with the script was the Penguin's lack of a master plan. Warner Brothers presented Stick with warming or freezing Gotham City, later to be used in Batman and Robin. Brilliant. Thanks, Warner Brothers. How long did it take you to come up with that one? Surely penguins would want it cool, so what would be the point of warming it up? Strick gained inspiration. Could, could you maybe warm it up, Gotham City? Strick Giant gained- spider in the third act. Yes, could, it, could, it, could Superman maybe fight a polar bear with a knife? Strick gained inspiration from a Moses parallel that had penguin killing the firstborn sons of Gotham. A similar notion was used when the penguin's parents threw him into the river as a baby. Harvey Dent appeared in early drafts of the script, but was deleted. Waters quoted, Sam Hamm definitely planned that, and I flirted with it. Having Harvey start to come back and have one scene of him where he flips a coin, and it's the good side of the coin, and so he goes, maybe next time, baby, deciding not to do anything. So you had to wait for the next movie. And yeah, that would have been Billy Dee Williams again, wouldn't it? Robin appeared in the script as he did in the first script, uh, for the first one, but uh, was deleted again due to too many characters. Waters feels Robin is the most worthless character in the world, especially with Batman as the loner of loners. 
Robin started out as a juvenile gang leader who became an ally to Batman. And Robin was later changed to a black teenager who's also a garage mechanic. Brilliant. Waters explained, He's wearing this old-fashioned garage mechanic uniform and it has an R on it. He drives the Batmobile, which I noticed they used in the third film. Marlon Wayans was cast and signed. No! <laughs> True story. And signed for a sequel. The actor had attended a wardrobe fitting, but it was decided to save the character for a third installment. And I'd imagine um, Joel Schumacher had a bit of a thing for Burt Ward, so he wanted someone who looked exactly like that, hence Chris O'Donnell. Michael Keaton returned after a significant increase in his salary to $10 million. I'm assuming he was kind of pissed off about the fact that Jack Nicholson made about 18 times what he did in the first one and is still making money today. Uh, anyone know who was originally cast as Catwoman? Uh, it was Annette Benning. After Burton saw her performance in The Grifters but dropped out due to pregnancy. Raquel Welch, Jennifer Jason Lee, Madonna, <laughs> Ellen Barkin, Cher... <laughs> Bridget Fonda and Susan Sarandon were then in competition for the role. Sean Young, who was originally cast as Vicky Vale in the first film, if you remember, wasn't she originally going to be in Indiana Jones as well? And, like, you know, she, she couldn't do that, and, then, like, she got really pissed off. And just, yeah, Sean Young, who was originally cast as Vicky Vale in the first film, believed the role should have gone to her. Young... <laughs> visited production offices dressed in a homemade Catwoman costume, demanding an audition. Yeah, so Burton did not say, hey, you, lady, you're clearly unhinged and you've made your own Catwoman costume. You're no good for playing Catwoman. <laughs> he went, no, this gives me an idea, methinks. <laughs> Burton was unfamiliar with Michelle Pfeiffer's work, being an uneducated prick who had never seen the fabulous Baker Boys, but was convinced to cast her after one meeting. Pfeiffer received $3 million salary, $2 million more than Benning, and a percentage of the box office. Pfeiffer took kickboxing lessons for the role. DeVito had to put a combination of mouthwash and red and green food colouring in his mouth to create a grotesque texture of some weird ooze. That is in direct quotes. They just needed some weird ooze. So, I think, was it you, Jerome, who pointed out that the penguin has no consistency in his blood? It's green, it's red, it's both. That was Josh. Oh, that's Josh. Yeah. I'll take the credit, though. Yeah, you can have it. <laughs> Batman Returns was the third highest grossing film in America of 1992 and the sixth highest in worldwide totals. The film was declared a financial success, but Warner Brothers felt the film should have been more successful. <laughs> Parental backlash criticised Batman Returns with violence and sexual references that were unsuitable for children. What, like when the penguin comes in and goes, Ah, that's just the pussy I'm looking for. You didn't, you didn't think that would maybe... You know, probably could have been left out. Maybe. Maybe you Look. shouldn't have a sex pest in your movie then. <laughs> <laughs> I fill her void. McDonald shut down their Happy Meal tie-in with the film. <laughs> responded, I like Batman Returns better than the first one. There was this big backlash, but it was too dark. But I found this movie to be much less dark. Brilliant. Every word that comes out of Burton's mouth is a gem. Have you ever actually sat down and listened to any of his commentaries? No. No. Sit Sleep aid, seriously. <laughs> he is one of the most boring directors to listen to. This, again, I, I really love Sweeney Todd. Big Fish is a fantastic film. Still probably going to get a kick out of Beetlejuice, but uh, he is a boring man to listen to.
was it that was commenting that it sounded a lot like Nightmare Before Christmas? Me. <laughs> yeah. Um, folks, we actually sat down and watched this all as one big party to the, together yesterday. We had Josh as well, who was going to be on the show, but he's currently doing Cane and Rinse, should be back for Mask of the Phantasm. It was a weird experience watching it with all of you guys, because it kind of changed it. I had, I've always really liked this film, and now I don't, and I'm not sure why. I don't think it's your fault. <laughs> don't blame us, blame the movie. We riffed it because it deserved it. But... But yeah, there's there's some there's some serious problems with this. I think some plot holes. Yeah, a mile wide. I've actually got a whole thing on the ending, so we'll save some of them for for, for the end. But uh, the, uh, the the beginning is stronger than the second half, most definitely. Um, who, who was really kind of unnerved by the whole throwing the baby into the sewer thing? I think was that Josh again? Probably. <laughs> it was the majority of us, really. Yeah, I don't think anyone was very comfortable with that. We just sat there going. What? <laughs> Childcare is really <laughs> terrible in Gotham City. Make it to an orphanage, for God's sake. This is what happens when Pee-Way Herman is your father. Pee-Way Herman. Pee-Way <laughs> him. Pee-Wee Herman. Yes, that is exactly that is exactly what happens when Pee-Wee Herman is your father. You will get thrown in the sewer. Um, so yeah, it starts off with with the poor penguin, baby penguin being being thrown in there, and th- there's repeated sort of attempts on Burton's part to make penguin kind of this sort of tragic outsider, and like he'd, he'd had extreme success with uh, Edward Scissorhands, and I think he was trying to do the same sort of thing again, but it's really difficult because the penguins. Re- incredibly antisocial and nasty and unpleasant and a sex best yeah a- there's there's very little about him that's at all sympathetic yeah and you're saying that as a big fan of this film uh, Sharon do you want to give us a basis for, for why you really really like this film um Generally. well it, we'll probably get to talking about the, the characters in a bit more depth but I've always been a huge fan of this interpretation of Catwoman mm. um and I thought Michelle Pfeiffer did an absolutely fantastic job I like the um her her dialogue is is quite obviously quite cartoonish and, and at times somewhat pun laden, um, but um, but generally I, I I like the way she's presented and uh, the the character of Selena at the beginning um, being this incredibly put upon secretary who clearly has more to her than. Shrek is utilising and she's patronised by him and she's patronised by her mother and the idiot who ditches her on the answering machine and the the people who are trying to sell perfume to her and all the rest of it and when Shrek pushes her out of the... I should, I should Actually, call him uh, Max, really. I'm gonna, I was going to say exactly that. Let's call him Max. There is another Shrek. Yeah. yeah. And um, just going to confuse me. When Max pushes her out of the window and we talked about this while we were watching the film yesterday... It's almost like it, it triggers kind of an emotional breakdown for her, um, and it changes her character entirely. And she, you know, completely rejects this um, pretty pink setup that she's had. Um, mm. it seems as though it's almost been imposed on her unwillingly, and she goes completely to the, the reverse of that. And you know, the black vinyl comes out, and the claws, and the whip, and all the rest of it. And I, and I was what 13, 14 when I first saw this film, and I was at that age where I was pushing the pink out of my life and it just struck a real chord with me and I've enjoyed the film repeated viewings of it up until fairly recently and watching it last night I still really really liked Catwoman but that was about it the rest of it 
I was I was very surprised at my reactions to it last night. Mm. So evidently, the lesson you've learned is you shouldn't watch Catwoman with myself <laughs> and the rest of us. We well, I'm not. I'm not blaming you, Neil. <laughs> not holding you responsible for that. I, d- I don't think it was that at all. The second, I mean, the second half of it, I was practically falling asleep. Now I can't blame you guys for that one. I think every film should be seen with friends just to just to test it ultimately because you might just be putting it in a, a bubble up up in top of an ivory tower. You see, the funny thing is watching this with, especially with Sharon last night. Um, I hate Cat. I, well, I used to hate Catwoman in this movie because it wasn't Catwoman. I was mm. used to Catwoman being the animated series one. Yeah, the style I had in the animated series, but the, the competent, well, the equal of Batman in in certain regards and things like that. But I like the, the take that Sharon said on Catwoman. This the whole mental breakdown, which kind of works for that character. It's really interesting until Burton blows it at mm. the end with her. The fact mm. that it could be her having this mental breakdown turning her into Catwoman is a really cracking idea. I really like yeah. that. Yes, but mental illness does not make you bulletproof. <laughs> yeah, I have... Or a... electricity proof. No. I've, I've got a thing on that. Can I furnish you guys with just a little theory? Go ahead. Sure. Selena Kyle in this film has supernatural powers. She possesses the ability to be thrown from great heights onto concrete into glass, get shot point-blank with a 357 Magnum four times, and absorb an electrical charge of several thousand volts and keep going. She obviously feels pain, but her adamantium skeleton is clearly unbreakable and her mutant healing factor deals with the damage to her internal organs. She also has razor-sharp claws. Dude, dude, dude. That's, that's Wolverine, not Catwoman. <laughs> no, it's Catwoman! <laughs> Needless to say, these powers are somewhat out of step with the scientifically based world of Batman. And I say scientifically in inverted commas, especially with what's coming up in the next two. Indeed. Oh, and don't, and don't forget, somehow she seems to have Black Canary's power as well at one point. Yeah, she can yeah. blast with her sonic scream. You did say yesterday, Sharon, that um, you were originally really impressed by Christopher Walken, but now... Well, I think when I first saw it, it was the first time I'd ever seen Christopher Walken, <laughs> and I thought, you know, wow, this, you know, this larger-than-life, horrible um, character with this really twisted way of talking, and you know, he's really, really interesting. And then I saw more Christopher Walken, and I realised <laughs> that's all he does. Just like he doesn't add. <laughs> he just no. talks. Just comes on, and it's Christopher Walken, and that's pretty much what people hire him for. He was at least entertaining the whole way through. And clearly clearly he wasn't taking it seriously in ways that other actors... I mean, like, Michael Keaton appeared to be taking the whole film, like, super seriously. When he and was in it. it. Yeah, but yeah for, that, for that three minutes he was in it. Speaking of Batman, um, I've just got one bullet point here. Batman burns a fire eater alive using the afterburner from his Batmobile. So... Batman murders fools. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks again, Tim. Nice to know you read the comics. So, no, it it would appear Batman still continuously kills. Now, now that fire eater looked like he was about to stop, drop and roll, but he could probably just have died from third degree burns there. It was an afterburner. You were dead. You were barbecue. And then there's the bomb bit later. Yeah. There, There had to be... Other ways. Batman could just have stopped him. I mean, he wasn't even a threat to the Batman. He was like breathing a bit of fire. And Batman's like, right, I'm going to fucking kill you, son. (laughs) Turns around and blasts him with fame, which is hilarious for the kids. But if you actually think about it, it's genuinely cold-hearted. Hilarious for the kids. Watching somebody burn to death is hilarious (laughs) for the kids. Yeah, maybe not. It's hilarious for twisted little 12-year-old boys. Yes. You have to wonder how they got away with it as well, because Bob Kane was a 
consultant on both this and the first one. And he created the character, so... <laughs> Maybe they interpreted Batman doesn't kill to Batman doesn't stab people in the chest on purpose. <laughs> doesn't shoot people in the head. Yeah. It's, it's, it's turned up so many times in so many really good Batman stories that to ignore it like this really seems like an oversight. Okay, so, moving on. Um, the Catwoman outfit? As in the bits that work and the bits that really don't? Uh, the heels thing again. She has the when heels. it when she does acrobatics. She does, there's a point where she's doing cartwheels, and she's clearly wearing flats. And then she lands from the last cartwheel, and she's clearly wearing stiletto heels. And then there's another bit where I can't remember what it is she does, but it's she climbs something. a building. Oh, that was it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and In heels. heels. Um, if I was going to devise the most unsuitable footwear for climbing a sheer brick building, it would be stiletto heels. A funny little fact, um, they went through 60 cat suits during the six months of shooting. And they cost a thousand dollars each? <laughs> what a waste! Okay, well, actually, the most wasteful thing in uh, Batman, actually, we'll talk about during the Batman and Robin show, but Jesus, that whole film was... was, was I was going to say, was that the most <laughs> wasteful thing? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what I was thinking of was basically that um, Schwarzenegger cost $24 million for that film. $24 million for one of the most laughably poor performances of all fucking time. And they paid him all that money, and then he, he walked away and smoked cigars. And, uh, How just much did his, he get for being governor of California? Less. And just his costume, that freeze suit, cost $1 million. <laughs> Everyone put your pinky up and say it with me. Three, two, one. One million dollars. So... There's that, and that I consider to be a grotesque waste of money. Right, so the Penguin. The Penguin for Mayor? I mean, that's the, the, the essential fallacy of the film, is that they're trying to make this odious man into a mayor, and it's sort of a, it's a take on politics, and it's a child's view of politics. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's just vote for this guy. He suddenly appeared out of a manhole, holding <laughs> a baby one day. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, but the giant duck didn't come up the manhole cover. Yeah, no, no it didn't. It was on the giant duck, and then he went up, and then he, he had a baby. But the, the people of Gotham, and I'll talk about this in a bit when it comes down to being gullible, fell for the old, I'm going to steal this baby. Oh, no, what's this? There's a giant penguin down here. No, don't hurt me. I'll give you back the baby. And it's like, seriously, you're going to fall, fall for that? That is how you embrace this guy? Evidently. There is a slightly... Um I, I don't even know if I can justify using the word interesting, but um, there's, a, there's a slight twist on it that usually it's the, uh, the shady businessman wanting the politician in his pocket mm. so that he can push through all his dodgy deals without being challenged. But in this case, um, the penguin is actually blackmailing Max to get him into uh, the, the position of mayor. So that's Why does he want to be mayor, by the way? I, I, he doesn't seem to have an overall plan. So he can fuck shit up. Wasn't there something to do with killing the firstborn children or something? No, that's that when they piss him off. Yeah. 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 But then um, that's when they snub him. What his overall plan appears to be to be rich and live in a big house. There's easier ways. There is. Yes. <laughs> Just take a kickback from Max to give you money. He could do that. He has plenty. But then we we talked about Catwoman having very little clear motivation either. 
Yeah, no, I, 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 I asked that of Sharon when we were on, on the way out. It's like, before she actually has that confrontation with the penguin, what does she want? Because she's not a jewel thief. She's not like Tyler Durden. She's not like the Joker. She's not trying to cause chaos or bring people down or make people crazy or scare people. She's not even robbing places. Blowing that store up appeared to be just a byproduct of her going crazy. And it's not no clear revenge element to it yeah. or anything she like that. Cl- she clearly has a, a vendetta against Max, but she takes a sweet time. She could have killed him on any number of occasions, but doesn't. What, why? Because the police will find out she's off the handle. So, so it sums the movie up as a whole. What yeah. was the point? Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about it till we started looking at Because, you know, doing Gonzo really does open your eyes to actually paying close attention to, to what the building blocks that a movie is made up of. And if they've missed big chunks out, you can see through the walls and go, I shouldn't be able to see the other side. Definitely. Yeah. The signal goes out. An intruder has been spotted at Wayne Manor. Down in the Batcave Command Center, it's time for Gotham's greatest hero, Batman Returns. Not a bad next. Batman makes a crashing entrance and sends the penguin flying back to his Arctic hideout. Look! The Batmobile! Follow it, Dad! Now you can get a Batman car and a McDonald's Happy Meal. That's Catwoman's Coop, Batman's launching Batmobile, or the Penguin's Roadster. One toy with each Happy Meal you buy, only at McDonald's. You are all that stands between Gotham City and the forces of destruction in the Batman Returns handheld beam from Tiger. Right now at Taco Bell, you can collect free Batman cups, like a free Batmobile cup. Now with Batman, the cereal. It's here. A smashing taste. A honey that pale part of your complete breakfast. Batman cereal. Hello. Gotham Corner Store? Yes, we seem to be down to our last diet cook. A gentleman is on his way to pick some up. Just look for a black car. No, this black car will be rather difficult to miss. And by the way, the gentleman is usually in quite a rush. Just for the taste of it, Diet Coke. Another, got another bullet point here. Batman kills an ex-circus employee with three sticks of dynamite. As you mentioned earlier, he blows that guy up. He puts them in his belt, kicks him down a hole, and then he explodes, killing him. <laughs> and Batman walks off smiling. Yeah. There are other ways he could take out that guy without killing him. It's just a kick him in the nuts for a start. Yeah. Batman doesn't seem to be very good at fighting in this, either. (laughs) I think that's down to the suit, though, isn't it? Josh was constantly telling us that the suit was not very mobile. No. But, I mean, he actually gets into lots of physical scraps in the first one. And this, his grappling with the circus fools appears to be more sort of working out novel ways to dispatch them rather than actually hand-to-hand combat. I think we said it when we looked at the when we did the previous film that a lot of the shots of him fighting in that one you don't see him fighting. Mm. You see an arm coming into shot and punching them, or <laughs> a leg, or you know a shape rather than him in you know profile or whatever. Yeah, where you can see the whole body. So advice for the next Batman film: make it that the bat suit makes you extremely streamlined and capable of doing excellent hand-to-hand fighting. In fact, they could probably make him a, a martial artist of some kind and actually give us a bit more. I, I, I really you like know, that, that, the that, in, in the, the Nolan films, but... 
maybe make it a bit more um, more of a flourish to it. Well, he does at least mention in the Nolan films. I think it's in Dark Knight where he says, "I need to be more yeah mobile." When he gets yeah, like, by move his head around. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so actually, yeah. Do you want anyone to want to talk about Bruce and Batman in this film? They were in this film. They were in. There. <laughs> Did I blink and miss them? Neil, you were going to say something about the suit. I think just now. No, it's just. I think it's more just the fact that that's we couldn't work that suit out either because he gets shot. And mm. he's okay. Yet mm. Catwoman can sort of pokey-stab him with her, her claws. I think... Doesn't she get under his armour? Like, she finds a, a chink in his armour and like sticks her finger up it inside. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Batman's eyes bug. <laughs> and go crossed. Uh, yeah. It's a di- I mean, it's a, it's a sli- slightly different, more streamlined, lighter suit of armour, apparently, but he doesn't use it. And then when he actually goes to get into his armour, he goes to his wardrobe, it's a really boring-looking wardrobe of rubber suits. And why do you have so many? Identical ones as well. Is he just stripping off every now and again in the middle of the street so they have to go back and get a new suit? Mm. And when he tears his cowl off at the end, could he just... <laughs> taken his cowl off at the end well, and then put it back on again when he left. You can, I suppose you can justify having spares for the amount of times he's been shot, stabbed mm. and ripped his cowl off, but <laughs> that many is a bit the, ridiculous. It's, it's mainly just under presentation. Like, they're just on hangers. <laughs> <It's like> a, <laughs> Why does a man have so many rubber suits in his wardrobe? Does he have bat socks? And it wasn't even that impressive because I mean, in the first movie, when he goes to put the bat suit on, it's sort of it's in a vault, isn't it? It's like a vault door that opens. It seems very theatrical, big. You know, it's like an epic moment. Where in this, it's like, oh, I'm just, I don't, oh, I need to put the bat suit on. Uh, to the wardrobe. You want to talk about epic moments of putting on the bat suit? Mask of the Phantasm. Yes. Okay. Right. So the turning point of this film. Anyone actually know what the uh, can, can you guess where I think the, the film actually becomes irrevocably broken and doesn't work and only works for moments briefly after this point? The possession of the Batmobile? Uh, it's ever so slightly before that, but it leads up to it. It's when uh, Catwoman meets the Penguin and when they're in the, his bedroom Ugh. like, and he's making horrible, leery comments at her and she's being not much better and she eats his bird, he starts to tries to stick his... Blade in her cat. (laughs) (laughs) And from then on, it basically, it it takes a kind of, I hadn't even realised that that was it, but basically that was the point where we actually sort of stopped paying attention to it a bit. And got, it got quite boring and confusing and muddled. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much the turning point. The, Shortly afterwards, when the Penguin has said, you know, he's hoping Batman will attend the festivities and glaring at the camera, in exactly the same way as the Joker did in the last one, saying, look, I'm going to start some shit, Batman, what are you going to do? Bruce invites Selina over to watch it on TV. Why? Did he not suspect he might be needed? As it turns out, he's needed, so he has to go away quick. Oh, yeah, speaking of being needed, can we talk about the over-elaborate bat effect? <laughs> At the beginning. <laughs> I like the, the, the shot of it like coming streaming through the window and up against the wall. That's is what good. you call the trailer shot. Yeah, it's good, but to get to it, he had to have like various reflective bat mirrors on his roof 
like plain as the eye can see, like up there. So anyone visiting by Manor would go, what are they, Bruce? Oh, I'm rumbled. He'd have to have them (laughs) elsewhere as well, otherwise they're just pointing the bat signal at his roof. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which kind of just says, Batman lives here. (laughs) very true and the way they're all angled towards each other as well a particularly heavy bird crashing into just one of them renders his entire communication system useless speaking of particularly heavy birds okay so the Bruce and Selina bit shortly after that in fact all of the Bruce and Selina scenes are actually kind of good because Michelle Pfeiffer as Selina when she's around Bruce seems to be taking things seriously and Michael Keaton seems to be taking things seriously and they both take their relationship aspect of it seriously and it sort of plays out weren't the two of them actually in a relationship at that point? oh really? I'm sure I read that when I was looking into stuff for the first one well, okay, I, I did not know that, if that's the case. I could be wrong. <laughs> well, tell you what, if you, fo- oh, excuse me. if you folks at home are hearing this, then it's true. <laughs> yep, that works. <laughs> okay, and, and yeah, so all the bits when he's talking with her, and, and you actually get kind of the feeling that they would work as a couple, which has always been the case with Selena and, and uh, Bruce, so ultimately Nolan has that to beat for uh, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, he's just made it a little bit more complicated because he's going to have Selina Kyle and Talia Al Gould in there. Ah, oh, so Batman's going to be like Bella. Yeah. Oh, God, no. Ah, no. 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 I like best. Okay. Um, Only if he takes off the bat suit, curls up in a corner of the cave and cries until the end of the film. <laughs> so, that would be in the sequel. So... <laughs> The remote-controlled Batmobile scene. Now, this was the one where we first started asking questions that had no answers. How did they get the blueprints to the Batmobile? The whole thing about, you flush it, I flaunt it. Bruce did not flush the blueprint to the motherfucking Batmobile. (laughs) (laughs) He would have burned them, if anything. Or kept them, perchance, because he might have needed them. (laughs) Wouldn't have said, Alfred, just throw those in the trash. There's no way. There is no way they could get them. And unfortunately, everything for the rest of the movie depends on them having those blueprints. And they give no explanation. None is given. Isn't it? So because they have these magical blueprints, they know the frequency to unlock the Batmobile. And there's no other security measures for it. They just press a button and it unlocks. You were and saying when we were watching it, Batman doesn't even have a little thing that bleeps and say, Hey, Batmobile's unlocked. What? Yeah, just in case. He's just like, no, that's fine. This and then they get in there and they rewire the whole thing. And the monkey helps! Where did the, the, the monkey come from? Where'd the monkey come from? And how did it learn to weld? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then Penguin controls the Batmobile in one of those... Outside the supermarket Batmobile cars. Well, they ride alongs or something, aren't they? Something like that. I can't remember what they're called. I, I will say this, and, and, and pretty much any parent out there is probably going to agree with me on this. If you have a, parent, a child of this disposition, I fucking hate those things. Because when we walk past them, Lara goes, oh, and she jumps into it. It's like, come on, honey, we've got to go, we've got to go shopping, and she won't get out. So we put one pound in, and she goes on for like one minute, and then we say, okay, we've got to go now, and she goes, no! And it's like, so basically, I've just wasted a pound because she was going to be upset if I didn't give her a pound to go on it, and she was going to be upset if I did. So I might as well just ignore the thing. So it's just there to steal your money and not bring any actual joy. Oh, I hate those things. 
A little bit of personal hate you had to get out of yourself there. Totally. Uh, back me up on this, parents. Zantiriad, you must have experienced these things. <laughs> I bet he has. <laughs> okay, right. Um, so, either way, the penguin's in one of these things. This doesn't make any sense! And he's driving along, like, controlling the Batmobile, and Bruce goes, Ugh, and he's, like, checking about the place. Yeah, and but it, Batman yeah, seems to forget how to drive the thing, because he's hitting switches left, right, and centre. He's like, dude, you designed this. You made it. Do you don't know what these switches do? There's got to be a kill switch. At one Although, point, to be fair, the switches would all do different things now, anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, because they got the blueprints. Again, how they get the blueprints? And, and seriously, can can I hire those clowns to, like, work on my housemate's car? Because they rewired that thing in, what, three minutes? Yeah. That's better than my local garage. There was no sucking of air through their teeth. occupation. <laughs> yeah, we could rewire the Batmobile. We don't have the parts. Uh, <laughs> Gotta get it off my the circus. It'll cost you. So, yeah, and everyone falls for the whole um, hacked Batmobile thing at, like, imbeciles and the stupid people of Gotham they fall for the baby trick they fall for the batarang trick like you know everyone knows Batman definitely killed this woman and then they fall for the Batmobile trick and then they fall for the voiceover trick as in the whole you know I played this stinking city like a harp from hell I've just put two more notes here why do they love him those are different takes to the ones he was recording while he was in the Batmobile and that's not how CDs work he oh. even scratches it like vinyl. That's really not how CDs work. Well, do you have to take the stupid test to live in Gotham in the Burton yeah. universe? It's the only thing that makes sense. They didn't. I mean, I would say they didn't seem as stupid in the first one, but they did. They turned up for the Joker, a known killer, doing his parade, and he gave them money and then tried to kill them, and they were surprised. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> God. So, I mean, yeah, everyone's still stupid in the next two, um, and it's not until Nolan's well, film well, where people sit. They're, they're at the most stupidest in Batman and Robin. I, I've forgotten it. I don't know. I, I cannot verify that, but I would... Trust me. Think, yes, probably. I know that they added that awful, like, hey, Brucey, paparazzi woman for the for the for um, for those films. Oh, she... Oh. But she was just one turd in a giant festering water closet. So, back to Batman Returns on that note. Yes, anyway. So, the whole snatching sleeping children thing. And Gotham's police problem. Where are the police? I Shooting everyone. Yes! <laughs> yes! In the back. The police... They run away. <laughs> genuinely understaffed. No wonder the city needs Batman. The police don't know what the fuck they're doing. At least in the Nolan films, the police are so up against it, and obviously so, that even adding extra numbers isn't going to help. But, I mean, these guys seem genuinely incompetent if circus performers are able to snatch away sleeping children. And it's like, even if the parents were home, what difference would that make? These guys have got guns. It, it feels like, going back to these two movies, that Burton only had a passing interest in Batman as a whole and found the villains more interesting. Mm. But he didn't even do a particularly good job with the villains in this one. No. Well, he completely torpedoes the Penguin. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Um, the, the masquerade when they're actually at the masquerade that is the last high point of the film because I don't know if you noticed this and it, it's, almost, it's so good that it's almost like it's an accident of the film Bruce and Selina come without masks because Selina Kyle and Bruce Wayne are now the masks that they wear they are in fact Batman and Catwoman which is really neat it is a nice touch mm. 
And that little interchange when they both find out that they're, they're definitely Batman and Catwoman, they definitely know at that point, because it has been given away, and they look into each other's eyes and they realise that it's the truth, making the unmasking at the end totally redundant. Um, oh, that was the other one. Napalming Catwoman. In the arm. <laughs> like flesh-melting acid. That's pretty messed up. Yeah. It really is. What if a bit of that had gone in her eye and blinded her? I mean, what? All on her jugular vein and killed her. Seriously, you know, um, Tim, you're not playing D&D. You can't throw, you know, a vial of acid. Yeah. Throw, throw a vial of acid. Plus four damage to your arm. <laughs> yeah, I do like the... Twelve years in prison. I do like the bit when they're necking on the sofa and then they end up running their fingers inadvertently over one another's scars and, and trying to keep the other off them. It's almost like... Not specifically, oh, the, she'll know I'm Batman because he doesn't have any clue that she's Selina at that point. He's just trying to keep that side of himself away from her and avoid awkward questions and ditto her. going to talk about the final confrontation between Batman and the Penguin. It's a little confusing, but here is the confluence of events. Batman races towards the Penguin's lair in his new Batski through the sewer pipes, at the same time hijacking the Penguin's frequency and preventing the Penguin's as in the little penguins, from launching enough explosives to destroy Gotham. These explosives, like everything else the penguin owns, such as flame-throwing umbrellas and an angry, violent circus troupe, were flushed down the toilet over the years by careless Gothamites. The penguin's ex-circus workers flee at the thought of the bat. Penguin tries to escape in a large duck. Batman crushes his duck with the batski and they have a fight. During that fight, Batman pulls out a detonation device that is beeping for no apparent reason. The exploding penguins, the little ones, then turn up at the abandoned zoo they are fighting in. The penguin, the big one, easily disarms Batman of the detonator and presses the button, something Bruce anticipated as its secondary function is to release a swarm of bats from the trunk of the Batmobile. They home in on the penguin, causing him to crash backwards through a skylight, falling to his death. The penguins also fire off in the little ones enough explosives to destroy Gotham, something Batman has just allowed Penguin to do. As the zoo explodes around them, Batman confronts Selina, who wishes to kill Max. Despite murdering three people in this film, Batman tells her he cannot allow this to happen, claiming that the law applies to both of them, something which is patently not true, considering his status as a masked vigilante wanted by the police. He then rips off his own cowl in full view of Max, knowing that their intention is to send the man to jail, along with the secret identity of Batman, despite the fact that in an earlier scene, both of them found out each other's identities. Bruce asks Selina to come back with him, but she decides that she would rather sleep rough on the slowy streets of Gotham than follow up on a potentially fulfilling relationship with a broken kindred spirit, choosing self-destruction over the possibility of emotional healing for both of them. Max then shoots Batman once and Selina four times with a 357 Magnum. Both of them survive, Batman because he is wearing really thick rubber and Selina because she has the power of Wolverine. 
She rationalizes that because she is fond of cats that she has nine lives, counts off the seven she has lost already and throws the eighth away, undergoing agonizing pain in an electric murder-suicide with Max that fries his carcass like overdone fajita meat. The penguin, the big one, mortally wounded and bleeding both red blood from scratches and green blood from internal hemorrhaging, then attempts to kill Batman one last time. He fails, dies, and is given a Viking funeral minus the fire by six penguins the size of little people who scrape his capacious frame down a concrete ramp and into a pool of industrial waste. The music and tone is sad, as though the world didn't understand this creature, too weird to live, too rare to die. The director was hoping the audience would conveniently forget that he is a psychotic, hate-filled asshole without compassion, reasoning, or any other redeeming features. And a sex pest. The penguin, I mean, not Tim Burton. He's just. An... <laughs> you just want to get that, make that clear. He is Tim Burton is just an occasional twat, and this is one of those occasions. He's not a sex pest that we are aware of. <laughs> no, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. So yeah, that's the. I, we were talking over this end bit, but I actually watched this again today to just make sure of it. And I always just sort of tune, like, tuned out the logic of the end and just sort of saw it as a big showdown. But it doesn't make any goddamn sense at all. Like, okay, one. Where did the army of penguins actually come from? Two. How long do you have to train a penguin to march to the centre of Gotham with explosives strapped to their back? They were remote controlled, but that doesn't even work. Why did they have weird, why did they have weird little cyber helmets on with you know the Star Wars aiming thing? And then at the end, like I said, there's enough explosives there to really do massive damage to Gotham, and it gets fired off in the zoo, and the the like the ceiling doesn't crash in and kill everyone. An abandoned zoo. Yeah. At least they explain kind of the circus freaks and all the rest of it at one point. Do they win? Um, I think we were probably talking over it, but yeah. right. um, Bruce is sat flicking through newspaper clippings of um, circus sideshows and the bird boy and all this sort of stuff. So he, right. so he found his way out of the sewer at some point. All right. And to was a circus. The boy in a circus. Apparently. And then went back into the sewer. At the zoo with the penguins and all of this stuff is Burton's Burton's idea, or whoever Sam Ham, even whoever wrote the scripts. I mean, we could keep blaming Burton on this. It's just that it all fits with his ethos. But the penguin is not like this in any other format. No, is he? He's just he's he's a he's a rich aristocrat. His his family have the Cobblepots have something in it for the Waynes. and, uh, you know, he's kind of a, a, a middleman villain. Yeah, he's usually portrayed as the fence. Yeah. The closest other version would probably be Arkham City. Yeah. yeah. Where he's Not a bit more of a grotesque. Mr. Batman! <laughs> yes, and he is grotesque and played by Nolan North. Oh, one neat thing about this film, uh, we technically kind of get to see the Bat-Pod a good 16 years early, when the Batmobile, all those bits fly off it and it goes through the, the big crack the, at the police. The bar. very phallic. Yes, the bat penis is basically the same as the bat pod. It's like, right, when your Batmobile's fucked, you can escape in this high-speed vehicle thing. Well, no, I don't think it's just particularly the Batmobile was fucked. It was just the fact the radio was going down had this really narrow gap. Yeah. So he just jettisons all the side stuff and it suddenly becomes really tiny. Yeah. It, it, I, at least the bat pod made sense. I did ask why the hell did he jettison those side bits, but aren't the police going to pick through the wreckage and go, 
This has got Bruce Wayne's prints all over it. But apparently, I was reading uh, Under the Hood t- today, Bruce Wayne and Alfred's fingerprints don't exist on any uh, records. That's yeah. convenient. It's very convenient, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but isn't it going to say, like, Wayne Tech on there somewhere, maybe? Oh, no, it wouldn't be that thick, would it? <laughs> I don't think he'd stamp if Name. lost, please return if to that man. Under Wayne Manor. <laughs> Batman Returns would be the last film in the Batman film series that featured Tim Burton and Michael Keaton as director and leading actor, respectively. With Batman Forever, Warner Brothers decided to go in a lighter direction to be more mainstream, with the intention of making a family film. Well, we did say when we were watching this last night, there was some particularly violent sections. Yeah, she slices up a dude's face. Uh, no, sorry, I say a dude, a rapist's face. That's true. And um, penguin biting the guy's nose off. And yep. It's not off, it's just... Well, yeah. There was a, 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 quite a jet of blood off it. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just the violence, the, the constant, like... You, you're right, he is a sex pest. Yeah. <laughs> And I think kids may have just been freaked out by seeing Danny DeVito and wondering how a man could look like that. Didn't even need makeup. Uh, didn't and even bother explaining why he was deformed. Penguin. No, it, was, it was just birth defects. It wasn't. Yeah, but I'm quite sure birth defects don't make you eat the local, you, you know, your parents' cat. I did like that bit. I really do like the bit where the cat gets what eaten. What causes that is if you keep your child in the cage. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> If I you don't feed it, it, it might eat the cat. It's not always going to happen, though. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, let's finish this one off. Hang on. Uh, the last thing that was happening, Neil was banging his head on the table. So commence banging. Before writing began, Burton was interested in a third film, but Keaton would only return with Burton as director. As the studio wanted a more family-friendly approach, Burton was to serve only as producer. With Warner Brothers moving on developing for Batman Forever in June 1993, a Catwoman spin-off was announced. Michelle Pfeiffer was to reprise her role with the character not to appear in Forever because of, and this is a direct quote, she was in her own little movie. How fucking patronising can you get? Well, the funny thing is, go watch the Catwoman movie. Yes, I'm not, not gonna. I'm about to talk about it. Hang on. Oh. I want to talk about how that, what became of that idea. Oh, okay. Burton became attached as a director while producer, this is the Catwoman movie, while producer Denise DeNovi and writer Daniel Waters also returned to the Catwoman spin-off with Burton. In January 94, Burton was unsure of his plans to direct Catwoman or an adaptation of The Fall of the House of Usher. In the end, he did neither. On June 6th, what would he have done in 1994 around that time? Conversations with Vincent? Oh, Ed Wood. Oh, Ed Wood! No, much better use of your time, Tim, honestly. Well done. Ed Wood, way better than Catwoman. Uh, on June the start of the trend that's still carrying on with him, isn't it? Yeah, buggering Johnny Depp. He also then did Mars Attacks, which I actually really like as well. Apparently not everyone likes it. Uh, Waters turned in his Catwoman script to Warner Brothers the same day Batman Forever was released. Burton was still being courted to direct. Waters joked, turning it in the day Batman Forever opened may not have been the best logical move. In the, it's the celebration of the fun for the whole family Batman, Catwoman is definitely not fun for the whole family script. The film laboured in development hell for years, with Pfeiffer getting replaced by Ashley Jard. The film ended up becoming the critically panned Catwoman in 2004, starring Halle Berry. And a few little things regarding Catwoman. Initially, there were debates about the writing credits with... I'm just going to say this very slowly. 
for the number of writers involved in this in the arbitration. Twenty-eight. Yeah. That explains a lot. Yep. Catwoman received overwhelmingly negative reviews from critics and currently holds a 10% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on 178 reviews. That's still 17.8 reviews, like. And I'll put it this way, as far as bad movies go, that's not bad. Yeah, I've, I've, we've heard worse. I Ooh, actually own it, so... Two or something. You own it. I own it, and I've watched it. It and was... A tough call deciding whether or not to review it for this series, but I just thought it's nothing. I wouldn't, Batman. It's nothing to do with Selena Kyle, even. It's not. No, the only thing that you can say about that Catwoman movie is her sort of origin, the how she's turned into Catwoman, is very, very similar to. Mm. She's Selena trying to or something, isn't she? She's actually flushed down a pipe. Brilliant. Much like, <laughs> uh, much like the Batman franchise was as well. Yes. Boom, and indeed, boom. Film critic Bill Muller of the Arizona Republic suggested that maybe Berry should give back her 2001 Academy Award as a penalty. Aaron Magruder's The Boondocks ran a series of comic strips in which Riley is punished by being forced to watch Catwoman. He subsequently campaigns to have Catwoman considered to be a form of child abuse. The film received seven Golden Raspberry nominations in 2005, including Worst Supporting Actress, Sharon Stone, Worst Supporting Actor, Lambert Wilson, and Worst Screen Couple, Halle Berry, and either Benjamin Bratt or Sharon Stone. It won in the categories of Worst Picture, Worst Actress, Halle Berry, Worst Director, and, by the way, the, the director is simply known as Pitov. Avoid any director who calls themselves just one thing. They are a knob. And worst screenplay. This includes G, by the way. Berry, while clutching her Academy Award statuette, accepted the award for Worst Actress personally, saying, First of all, I want to thank Warner Brothers. Thank you for putting me in a piece of shit, god-awful movie. It was just what my career needed. She has gone on to speak frankly in interviews about her views regarding problems with the film. <laughs> like it exists. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's it, pretty much, for, for uh, Batman Returns. The legacy is basically is the Catwoman film, because um, very little of Burton's uh, influence was really felt in the next two films, really. I mean, you, you maintained Michael Goff and the guy who played Jim Gordon, and that's about it. <laughs> this ends the story of Burton's Batman. I think, ultimately, we can look at this as a pendulum swing he swung it a bit too far in the dark direction so it had to swing back into the clownish direction too far and then it swung so high in that direction that the big swing back into the uh, into the dark basically went into serious but you see it's not just a matter of I mean ultimately dark is not necessarily quality and light is not necessarily quality I think I also wonder if some of the love because uh, wasn't this one's quite high on the pole in the forums, isn't it? Returns high on the pole. <laughs> I just starting to think that maybe Batman and Batman Returns the love for it is probably CMD <laughs> uh, cinematic nostalgia disorder. Mm. It got uh, it's got nine point seven percent of the votes uh, to Batman sixteen point seven percent of the votes. So I think when people go back and watch it again, they might consider. May. I mean, Mask of the Phantasm, which we're about to review, only got 6.9%. I want to address that imbalance. <laughs> you want to stand up for Mask of the Phantasm? Absolutely. Oh, she's not bad. I, I, going back to these movies, we're going back with everything that's gone, you know, beyond since then. You wouldn't, we're not looking at them as the, as the period they came out in. They are appropriate for the period, but since then we've had forever 
Robin, Mask of the Phantasm, uh, and and obviously the Nolan ones. It's it's going back and you go, ooh yeah, hmm. Well, I mean, it's it's still better than both of the uh, Schumacher ones, by far. Yeah, but I think we'll probably have more fun riffing the Schumacher ones. It remains to be seen. The last time I watched them, um, I actually got really depressed watching them. <laughs> it just felt awful. And Lyra was just wandering around, bored out of her mind, so they only have an appeal to kids. Which is not good, because that's at least one thing you could get by on saying, oh, maybe they yep. appeal to kids because they're big and dumb and bright and colourful and... No. Clearly not three-year-old kids. Oh, well. Okay, well, we, we'll see. We will see. And I'll see if I can try and get Lyra to see them again. Because I think she does like Batman. Um, we're actually going to get, um, by the end of the uh, series, a list of which, what order to show the kids Batman in. Because ultimately, it, it makes more sense to actually put them in an order where it's age-appropriate. It's not just like the uh, Star Wars films, where it's, you've got to put it... There's some sort of... <laughs> oh, that's easy. You just show them, you know... <laughs> Four, five, six, and then stop. <laughs> I refuse to call them four, five, six. The original trilogy. Yes. Okay. The good ones. Right. So, I mean, that's that's it for Batman Returns. Sharon, any more on this one? Um, no. I could get very um, verbally abusive about Tim Burton, frankly, and that's that's actually quite a big thing. Having said that because he used to be somebody that I would have listed as one of my favourite directors and mm-hmm. the, the uh, percentage of his films that I actually think are really good is getting smaller by the it year. Is. It is true. Um, I, there are still some that I think were <laughs> The more fantastic. crap films he makes and the more older films that he did that you go back to yeah, and read them. Yeah, just pulled. Yeah, I mean, I, I do still... I really like Sleepy Hollow. Sweeney Todd is awesome. Um, Big Fish is really really fantastic and I do still like Ed Wood I've never been that big a fan of Mars Attacks but I mean Beetlejuice yes yes Beetlejuice is great Beetlejuice <laughs> don't say it again just seen on it's IMDB his next film is Frank that a remake of one of his old ones Frank and Weenie is a remake of a short that he did way back uh, in the day that was yeah that was what I was referring to you as a dog that gets brought back to life but this one's animated as well so it's yeah, probably I mean it might be good because his animated films tend to be better. I really like Corpse Bride. Going by the fact that the the poster says from the director of Alice in Wonderland. No. <laughs> See, this is this is the thing. Alice in Wonderland. He has to compensate for Alice in Wonderland for me to think he is one of you know a, a good director again because he, that's one sorry. of my favourite books ever and. He multi-buggered it he, he all did. on his own somehow. He did. He, he did horrendous things to it. I'm going to go ahead and say that that film is as animated as Roger Rabbit in terms of like, like 90% of what you see on screen isn't uh, practical, if you know what I mean. I've got to admit, I've avoided it. <laughs> like Good. the plague. Well done. I, I I, there's almost no use to see it unless you want to generate hate. No. See, Sharon's jo- joining other film fans whose other directors have dropped off, like me and John Carpenter, who hasn't done anything good since Escape from L.A. Oh, See, not not just not doing anything good. If if they just like stopped producing stuff, <laughs> just accepted that they were over then, the hill, then that would be okay because you could still look at the back catalogue and say, well, you know. Back in his day, he did some really fantastic stuff. But Burton has continued churning out multicoloured, licorice all sorts crap. This summer, 
five lucky kids will follow in his footsteps. I want a squirrel! Don't touch that squirrel's nuts! Why is everything here completely pointless? But only one... Candy doesn't have to have a point. That's why it's candy. ...will find his heart. There is a place like no place on Earth. Some say to survive it, you need to be as mad as a hatter. Which luckily, I am Alice. It's you. You're back. Alice! Alice! Oh, super Welcome home, Barnabas Collins. How soon can the horses be ready? We don't have horses. We have a Chevy. Sorcery is this. Reveal yourself, tiny songstress. Are you stoned or something? They tried stoning me, my dear. It did not work. Johnny Depp. Wow. Yes, this is the Henchman Hotline. Gotham City, you say? Well, it's very funny you should call me today because right now we've got a special offer on clowns. Clowns? Yes, they all used to work at a circus, but it burned down and there were questions about several children got a bit eaten. Oh, eaten exactly. Very eaten. Gobbled right up, they were. Oh, that's a selling point, actually. Yes, that is a selling point. Uh, that's why I snapped them all up. Anyway, it's a, it's a group rate. If you hire three clowns, you get seven free. What? Oh, we've got all sorts. We've got clowns on bikes, clowns on trikes. We've got big hairy ones whose name is Mike. Uh, do you like stilts? We've got clowns on stilts with machine guns. Oh, they're very durable. You can set these guys on fire. You can blow them up. You can shoot them. They love it. A Batman, you say? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure these clowns will have no trouble with a Batman. Excellent choice, sir. I'll have them on the first creepy miniature train over to Gotham tomorrow morning. Excellent. Oh, and if you're in the market for goons in Gotham, do keep an eye out for one of mine, Bob. I haven't seen him for about three years. The Penguin's awful. <laughs> he is. And the version of Catwoman in this is far from the worst one I've seen anywhere. It's just not the Catwoman that I'm used to which is a bit different to you guys with the animated series where mine's come from some of the comics. Ed Brubaker and Darwin Cook's Catwoman was brilliant. Um, that was after this, where they redesigned her with the goggles and all that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And she was the thief and completely Batman's equal. Uh, actually, I will ask one last thing. Sharon, when, she's, when Catwoman says, Bruce, I would love to go and live with you in your castle, I just couldn't live with myself, and she scratches him. Um, what the fuck is she talking about? I think it probably refers to the fact that if she just walked away from Max knowing what it is he's, he's responsible for and that, that ultimately he is um, trying to milk Gotham dry and that he's incredibly corrupt and, and incredibly yeah, harmful to, to people. Jail, if, if she knew so. all that and didn't do anything about it, she couldn't live with herself. I, I always thought that was kind of what she was driving at. Yeah, but she's short-sighted because if she and Batman actually teamed up 
as a crime-fighting duo, then the second Max gets himself out of jail, they can hammer down on him. Well, this is well, th- no, because this is her. This is, was her point that um, Bruce's thing was that Max should be tried and, and go to jail if he's done anything against the law. But her point was, well, he, he'll just buy off the judge and get out of it. She wants him dead. She mm. knows. And, and here, interestingly enough, is where uh, Burton kind of drops himself in the shit on that one. She knows Batman doesn't kill people, except in this. He does, but only henchmen, it appears. <laughs> I don't yeah, kill the villains. <laughs> henchmen don't count, and I can't kill the main villains apart from the Joker. Oh. All of that, the whole end of that movie doesn't make any sense because everything is, is a contradiction. So More than the bloody end of it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Okay, so on reflection, this film surprised the shit out of me and disappointed me in equal measure. Yes. CND, I'm telling you. Okay. I, right, I, so I can't watch A Few Good Men now, then, just in case it turns out to be awful. Okay, folks, for the love of God, tune in this Sunday if you've seen The Mask of the Phantasm. If you haven't, go and buy The Mask of the Phantasm. If you want a really good Batman story, that is it. And the fact that it's only got a few votes on the forum tells me not enough of you guys have seen it and you are missing out because it is really, really good. We are not bullshitting you. It's like an hour and 12 minutes and it is joyfully good. Do it. Do it. Do it now. Nice to see you. We'll be back for Mask of the Phantasm on Sunday and then after that we're going to Aliens again because I've got my Blu-ray player. And then we'll do Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, <laughs> Actually, I don't even think we're going to get to Alien Resurrection. Let me just check here. Yeah, no, after Aliens, we've, we're going to do Prometheus, because we'll actually be that close. Oh. Yeah, uh, and then we're going to have to finish off with the last Alien films after that, at which point, when the Alien films are all done after AVPR, we are going to go back to Batman, and then we will start on the Schumacher ones. That's how things are going to go. It wouldn't have happened had my PS3 not broken. Say la vie. But I kind of like the fact that we've sort of broken up the Batman films, and it's not just 11 in a row. We've got four, and then the other... Yeah, intermingling. intermingling. Gives us a bit of time to play the games as well. True, true. I've got to get on uh, Arkham City now, get some serious bat time in. Okay, and we're going to finish on Susie and the Banshees face-to-face, which is another one of the really good things about this film, which features very briefly at Max's Max Carade, uh, which also seems to feature Super Freak by Rick James... <laughs> recognize it immediately and it's probably better than anything Prince did for the first Batman film so there we go what do you mean it's better than Batman it's better than scandalous you've been listening to Digital Gonzo thank you very much to all my guests we will see you on Sunday I'm Batman (laughs) that's all I can think of to say at this point Uh, what a crap film (laughs) (laughs) is it Thank you.